So who's right, Protestants or Catholics? That's gonna be this edition of Ask, where we will solve a centuries-old debate. Actually, I'm just kidding. But we will definitely talk about it, so stay tuned on this edition of Ask. Once again, I wanna welcome you to Ask. I'm Pastor Jamie, and this is the show where I answer your questions. Bible, faith, life, anything else you got, favorite foods, whatever. If you have a question, and we definitely need your questions, please go to cornerstonebv.org. There's a media page, drop down, ask. You leave your name if you want. Otherwise, just leave your question. We definitely need it, so thank you. So our first question, uh, I'm just gonna summarize because it was kind of long. It was about Catholic and Protestant. Protestant. This is what they said. I think I'm stuck because of course, from a Protestant perspective, Catholics are wrong. And from a Catholic perspective, Protestants are wrong. So who's right? Do you have any good resources? They also asked that would help me sort this out. Okay, so this is obviously a sensitive question given we are in an area dominated by people um, who would call themselves Catholic. So first, let's really be clear what the word Catholic means. It's actually a word that is meant to encompass all believers. Like when the Apostles' Creed said, we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. You see, we still believe this. There are local bodies that we call churches, Cornerstone Church would be one of them, and denominations that, that differ in various doctrinal beliefs. But in the end, all believers, past, present, future, make up what we call the Catholic Church. So when we talk about differing in beliefs, I try to use the term Roman Catholic Church, which is what, what we're really talking about. See, there was always one Christian church for generations. And one way for you to understand how the Roman Catholics came to believe some things uh, that are way off, at least from the Bible, um, in biblical Christianity, is to read the story of Christianity. I recommend a two-volume set by Justo Gonzalez. You see, this will kind of show you the circumstances that caused the church to end up believing things that are way different than what we read in the New Testament. If you want to understand the main differences, um, but you're not as much of a reader and want to read two kind of textbooks, even though they're really great, I do recommend this pamphlet. It's called Answers to My Catholic Friends. It is a, definitely more of a pamphlet and it'd be a lot easier and, and quicker to read. And I want you to notice how it says, friends. We need to be very careful to be kind in our disagreements. We have far more in common with each other than many out in the world who believe very little about God and the Bible. The Protestant faiths, they didn't pop up until what is called the Reformation. This is when, in the 1500s, when people began to buck up against the church's beliefs, and they sought to bring the faith back to what is taught in the New Testament. It's what Martin Luther called sola scriptura, scripture alone. You see, the Roman Catholic Church maintains that the Pope has the authority uh, to add to what is called and to what they call Catholic tradition. And the church holds that these papal traditions are equal to the Bible. And it's because of this we have some very sharp disagreements like purgatory or the worship of Mary or the adoration of human saints that are, it's just not found in the Bible at all, but we're elevated to the same authority because of church tradition. So while the Roman Catholic teaching still has much in common with Protestant teaching, the main concern that, that we always should have is the potential loss of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, if you add works to your salvation and introduce, introduce concepts like purgatory, where you work off your own sin, you dangerously reduce the great sacrifice of Jesus. When Paul once wrote, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. Second question, this person, uh, the um, person who submitted it says, my question is from Genesis 6, 11. 
Scott was not pleased with the people and all the violence and corruption, so he determined to make an end to all flesh. Uh, and Noah and the ark were born. Then God made it rain for 40 days and nights. And in, in Genesis 8:20, God made a covenant to never again curse the ground. So my question was, was God remorseful for even flooding the earth? That's a great question, especially with the context that you read it in. So let's give it even more context. See, what God saw was all mankind was sinful and he judged them with the flood, except for Noah and his family. When the flood waters had subsided, Noah gave the Bible's first recorded act of sacrifice and worship. While Noah did not have the Mosaic law or this concept of sacrifice would become far more developed in the future, the act still showed the importance of atonement for sin. Noah brings a sacrifice to God and God's anger is satisfied. God does not regret his judgment because that's righteous, but his anger is turned away because of Noah's faith and the accepted sacrifice. You see, all of this points to Jesus. One day, Jesus would sacrifice himself on the cross and will satisfy God's anger, not just temporarily, but for eternity. And all who put their faith in the sacrifice of Christ will be accepted by God and he's promised never to judge us again because of Christ. But keep in mind that Noah's sacrifice is just a shadow or a picture pointing to a much greater sacrifice that Jesus will make. Therefore, God says in Genesis 8 that mankind is still wicked. <laughs> But he just won't judge with a flood, but he will still judge. Noah's sacrifice is temporary, but Jesus will do what no other sacrifice could ever be able to do. Third question, have you ever heard of the term expressive individualism? Is there any danger in this line of thinking? And can it be implemented in our Christian walk of life? Yeah, expressive individualism is a term that encompasses our current culture basically its highest ideal. It is where we get common sayings like, you be you, be true to yourself, follow your heart, find yourself, right? Like frozen, you know, follow your heart. Historians have actually studied cultures and societies throughout the world history, and there is one main thing that needs to be present for a society to survive and thrive. There needs to be a collective belief that something or someone is more important than the individual. In other words, we all as a society are willing to sacrifice our own comforts and opinions for a greater ideal. This can take many different forms, like um, some typical ones throughout history are, we live for God or a higher power of some kind. We live for family. We live for our king or our queen. We live for our country or our tribe. You see, when a culture allows each individual to live however he or she wants and expects others to accept it, the society crumbles. Rome did not crumble because of an outside enemy, did it? But it crumbled from the inside, and expressive individualism had lots to do with it. I'm not really sure there's any way to put this lion back in its cage in America. And if not, I truly believe we will not last very long in society. Now, to the specific question, do we see this in the church? Of course we do. People who practice Christianity as a personal or private faith and take what they want to believe uh, and what they, you know, what they don't and they leave, it's like a form of expressive individualism. The Bible is clear. Christianity is, uh, certainly deals with the individual in terms of sin and salvation. But when it comes to practicing our faith, it is always described in terms of the body of Christ, right? It is assumed that believers will live in close contact with one another and do life together. The Bible should also be accepted as the word of God and is therefore all true, whether you like it or not. Expressive individualism allows a person to then say, for instance, 
that they like that they like to think about the love of God, but don't really believe too much in the wrath of God. Expressive individualism gives credence to a Christian who might say, God made that person the way he or she is, and it's good, even if that way is clearly called sin in the Bible. So yeah, this is obsession, obsession of individuality is terrible for a society and has no place in the church. Your job is not to decide what you like about God, but to get to know God. He's perfect in all ways, and if therefore you don't like something, it is you who needs to change, not him. Well, that's all we got for this week. We have more questions, but our time is up. So, hey, we'll have more great questions next week. So go to our website, leave your question today, so we'll answer it in an upcoming episode. We'll see you hopefully this weekend at any one of our three gatherings, Saturday at 5 or Sunday at 9 or 11. And we'd love to meet you if I've never met you. And uh, have an awesome week. God bless.